Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here this morning, all your smiling faces here. Get your Bibles out if you would, please. We started a series here a couple weeks ago that we're calling Healer. And in this series, right from the beginning, I asked you this question, do you believe there's hope for your healing? And I'm hoping that that is percolating in your heart, in your mind, and throughout the week as we've been talking about this, because I think it's really important to be able to settle some issues about who God really is. Does he, can he really bring healing to your relationships? Can he really heal you in that hurt and that ache that's in your heart? Can he really bring healing to those addictions that have grabbed a hold of you? Can he really heal that sickness or that disease? The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline the word evidence. Because what I'm trying to do here over these last several weeks and continuing on for the next several weeks, what I'm trying to do is to build evidence in your heart that God truly is healer, that this is just who he is and that he wants to bring healing into your life. And if you've been gone or haven't heard all these messages, I want to encourage you to go online and to just keep up with the messages. When you're on vacation, just go online and listen to the messages so that you can continue to build evidence in your heart and in your mind that God truly is healer and that he wants to bring healing into your life as well. If you haven't been around here, we've been passing these out, these little healer cards. And on the back, it says, um, what healing or other miracle do you desire for your life? If you haven't filled one of these out, I would encourage you to do this. Um, because what we're doing with these cards, we're taking, I, I keep them in my Bible, I keep a stack with me, and we've been praying it through these cards every single week. And so if you haven't done one of these yet, or maybe there's some other things that are going on that you want to have prayed about for healing, just raise your hand and the ushers will put these in your, in your hands real quick. Raise your hands high so the ushers can see you, um, and so they can put these into your hands here. Just keep them there until an usher comes. And like I said, we've been taking these cards, we've been praying it through these, because I really believe God wants to bring healing to our lives, especially, I think, just in the course of what's happening as a church, just allowing God's healing just to kind of really grow inside of us as a congregation. And one of the things, as I have been praying through all these stacks of cards and all the things that you guys have written on these cards, one of the things that I've noticed is the number of cards that mention relationships as an area where healing needs to come in your life. Um, healing in regards to marriage, healing in regards to friendships, healing between siblings, healing between parents and children, children and parents, healing between um, co-workers. And I saw this statistic um, this last week that really kind of shocked me because it said, if I were to ask you, when was the last time you lost sleep and what is it that you lost, why did you lose that sleep the 90% of you would say that you lost sleep over some sort of relationship. Isn't that interesting? 90% say that they lose sleep over a difficulty that's going on in a relationship. And this is really, it's really important for us to understand because relationships are incredibly powerful. Relationships, not only do they have the power to make your life great, but they have the power to make your life incredibly miserable. Come on, wouldn't you agree? Isn't that interesting? Relationships can make our life incredibly rewarding and worthwhile, but at the same time, relationships can make our lives incredibly miserable. My grandpa used to tell us this story all the time when I was growing up. Um, 
why his and my grandma's marriage went so well. Now, I don't know if this is actually a true story or not. He just always told it. Um, he may have taken it from someplace else, but um, they got married in the early 1900s. And because they didn't have a car, they had a horse-drawn carriage. And so after the wedding, they got into this horse-drawn carriage to go on to their honeymoon. And they took off. And, and down the road a little bit, the horse just stopped dead in its tracks. And they were trying to get the horse to go, but it would not move. And so my grandma got out of the carriage and walked in front of the horse, took a hold of the bridle, looked at the horse in the eyes, and said, that's one. She then got back into the carriage. And and hit the reins on the horse, and sure enough, the horse went on down the road. But just a little bit while later, the horse stopped again right in his tracks, and no matter what they would do to get the, try to get the horse to move, the horse would not move at all. So my grandma jumped down from the horse carriage and got in front of the horse, took a hold of the bridle, looked the horse in the eyes, and said, that's two. She got back into the carriage and, and continued on, and sure enough, the, the horse moved and was able to go on down the road, but... As soon as they kind of got down the road just a little bit, the horse stopped a third time. And this time, my grandma got out of, the, out of the carriage and went in front of the horse, pulled out a revolver, and shot and killed the horse right there. Well, my grandfather goes, what in the world, Anna, are you doing? How do you think we're going to get to our honeymoon? Uh, I mean, is there, what are we going to do here? Are you crazy or something? And my grandma looked at in his, her, his eyes and said, Virgil, that's number one. <laughs> How many of you know that they lived happily ever after, which is the reason why I'm still here today? We can laugh at stuff like this and kind of the fun things we do in relationships, but the reality is that so many of us tend to build relationships on the wrong things. We build relationships on the wrong things. We build relationships on things that are common. We build relationships on mutual attraction. We build our relationships on contractual do this or else type things. We build relationships on convenience. We build relationships on what, me feel, what makes me feel good. We even build relationships out of fear. But what happens is if you define your marriage that way, then inevitably you're going to have problems because all these things change. All these things are things that are going to change. Our looks change. Our likes and dislikes change. We mess up. We make mistakes. Those are just constant in our lives. And so if our relationship are defined on these things, then you're going to have a lot of serious problems then in your relationship. But I want you to look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments... Which is the most important? The most important answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now look what Jesus was doing. Because he was summarizing everything in Scripture, he said, could be summarized in these two things. Number one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And number two, what is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you love me, you'll be able to love them. And if you love them, you'll be able to love me. But if you can't, you can't love them without loving me, and you can't love me without loving them. 
In other words, the horizontal affects the vertical, and the vertical affects the horizontal, which means if, you're, if you want your relationships to work, then you need to get closer to God. And if you want to get closer to God, then you need to get closer to people. The two are inseparable. This is what Jesus was describing. These two are inseparable. But so many of us, what we're trying to do, we're trying to improve these relationships without actually putting any focus on a relationship with God, without getting closer to him. But Jesus said, when we'll get closer to him, then look what what he says we'll do. Malachi 4, verse 6. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers. That word turn in the original Hebrew language is the word shub. And that means to return, to draw back, to recover, to restore. Think about it. Because this is what God wants to do. God wants to bring healing to your relationships. He wants to restore. He wants to draw back. He wants to recover. He wants to return the hearts of the husbands to their wives. The hearts of the wives back to their husbands. The hearts of the parents to their children. The hearts of the children back to the parents. God wants to restore your relationships. And I say this all the time, that I think this is really important for us to understand that it's always better to work with God than to work against God. Come on. If God is going in a direction, if God wants to do something, it's always better to go with him and to work with him than to work against him. You know what I'm talking about? It's never going to bode well for you if you start working against God. So one of the keys in life is to figure out what God is doing, where he is going, where his power is working, and then just cooperate with him. And so my question for you here this morning is, what do you need to do to partner with God in regards to the healing that he wants to bring your relationships? Do you realize we have a part here? You can actually hinder the move of God and what he's wanting to do in your relationships or... We can partner with God in how he's wanting to bring healing in our relationship. I want you to look at the story of Abraham and a king by the name of Abimelech. It's here in Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 22. It says, And Abimelech came to Pekol, the commander of his army, and said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. So make a promise to me here before God that you'll be fair with me and my children and my descendants. Be kind to me. And to this land where you have lived as a stranger, as kind as I have been to you. And Abraham said, I promise. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about Abimelech's servants who had seized a well of water. But Abimelech said, I don't know who did this. You never told me about this before today. Then Abraham gave Abimelech some sheep and cattle, and they made an agreement. Abraham also put seven female lambs in front of Abimelech. Abimelech asked Abraham, why did you put these seven female lambs by themselves? And Abraham answered, accept these lambs for me to prove that you believe I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because they made a promise to each other. Now, Abimelech was a Philistine king, and he was the king in this area where, where, uh, where he lived in, in the city of Gerar. This is not the first time we're introduced to Abimelech, and to see how this kind of starts, I want you to jump back just a couple chapters to Genesis chapter 20, when Abraham first arrives here in this area. Verse 1, it says, Abraham had left Hebron and traveled to southern Canaan, where he stayed a while between Kadesh and Shur. When he moved to Gerar, he told people that his wife Sarah was his sister. Abimelech, king of Gerar, heard this, so he sent some servants to take her. 
But one night God spoke to Abimelech in a dream and said, you will die. The woman you took is married. But Abimelech had not gone near Sarah. So he said, Lord, would you destroy an innocent nation? Abraham himself told me this woman is my sister. And she also said, he is my brother. I am innocent. I did not know I was doing anything wrong. Then God said to Abimelech in the dream, yes, I know you did not realize what you were doing. So I did not allow you to sin against me and touch her. Give Abraham his wife back. He is a prophet. He will pay it for you and you will not, he, he will pray for you and you will not die. But if you do not give Sarah back, you and all your family will surely die. So early the next morning, so early the next morning, that's a good way to respond to God, right? So early the next morning, Abimelech called all of his officers and told them everything that had happened in the dream. They were very afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham to him and said, what have you done to us? What wrong did I do against you? Why did you bring this trouble to my kingdom? You should not have done these things to me. What were you thinking that caused you to do this? Then Abraham answered, I thought no one in this place respected God and that someone would kill me to get Sarah. And it is true that she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but she is not the daughter of my mother. When God told me to leave my father's house and wander in many different places, I told Sarah, you must do a special favor for me. Everywhere we go, tell people I am your brother. Then Abimelech gave Abraham some sheep, cattle, male and female slaves. He also gave Sarah, Abraham's wife, back to him and said, look around you at my land. You may live anywhere you want. It's such an interesting story, but out of the craziness of this story, Abraham and this king Abimelech form this really, really strong friendship. And it's in their interaction that I think we can find some really powerful relationship repair tools. I want to share those with you here this morning. Write these down. Number one, relationships are repaired through kindness. Relationships are repaired through kindness. Look again. In Genesis 21, verse 23, Abimelech asked Abraham, Be kind to me and to this land where you have lived as a stranger, as kind as I have been to you. Now, if you experience or when you experience a rift in your marriage or in your friendships or or in your relationships, when you experience a rift, whether it's someone here at church or at a job or at school or your neighborhood or your close friendships, kindness is one of the greatest tools you'll ever have for restoring that relationship. Kindness is one of the greatest tools that you have in your tool chest for repairing a hurt in a relationship. I remember several years ago, there was a person in my life who had said and done some things that really caused a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of bitterness in my own heart. And as much as I knew that I needed to forgive and to pray for this person, I really struggled getting that hurt out of my heart. I would pray and pray and pray, and I would forgive and forgive and forgive, but every time I would see this person or think about this person, a rush of that hurt and offense and that bitterness was just still there. And I remember one day I was out mowing my grass, and I saw this person walk by with their dog, and that rush of bitterness, that rush of offense just came over my heart. I said, God, I've been forgiving and forgiving. I've been trying to release this person out of my heart so I get my heart free from this. What am I supposed to do? And I felt like the Lord spoke to me very simply and said, go bring them a couple dozen um, cookies. Really? Go bring them a couple dozen cookies? I was, I was thinking God was just going to do something to get my heart 
just free, you know? That's what I was asking. I was asking God to bring healing to my heart. God, why, aren't, why, why isn't this happening? I'm forgiving for God. I'm praying and praying. Why isn't there a release? And I felt like God just spoke to me. Go, go bake a dozen homemade cookies and go, go bring them to him. And so I did. After I got through mowing the grass, I went inside, got cleaned up, and I baked two dozen homemade cookies, and I took it over to their house. Interestingly enough, as soon as I gave them those cookies, I could feel it. My heart got released. That act of kindness released my heart. It's an interesting thing. I tell this to people all the time. We, you, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. But if you're not getting your heart free, one of the things that will help free your heart, go, do that, go give that person an act of kindness. Go do something. They don't even have to know it was you. Just that act of kindness will free, free your heart. And I think about this because kindness is such a simple, and I think completely misunderstood and overlooked ingredient for restoring relationships that are in need of repair. Because our natural inclination when we experience these relationship stresses and these relationship rifts, our natural inclination is to be unkind, right? That's our natural inclination. We want to bask in our bitterness, we want to hold on to that anger because obviously I'm right and you're wrong. And so I want to hold on to that judgment. I want to yell and curse and be rude. That's our natural inclination. Come on, somebody help me. Isn't that right? That's what, those are our natural inclinations here. But those are precisely the attitudes and the actions that will keep your relationship from being repaired. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he said, stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Okay, you're not getting this yet. Turn to your neighbor. Okay, look your neighbor in the eyes. Don't put any fingers up, one or two or three. Don't do any of that. But just look at somebody beside you. Say this after me. Repeat this after me. Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Some of you have a hard time looking at your neighbor and telling that, right? Maybe because of the person you're sitting by, you might be mad and angry at, right? Come on. Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another, ouch, or curse each other or ever be rude. Instead, what? Be kind. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, be kind. Say it gently. Say it gently. <laughs> okay, turn to your other neighbor. You picked on that neighbor enough. Turn to your other neighbor. Tell your other neighbor, be kind. Be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. Here's what I think. What an incredible revolution would take place in our lives if we just simply do what the Bible tells us to do. Come on. Just take this scripture and practice this scripture this week and see what will happen in your life. I want you to listen to this story about kindness. A young man cowered in the corner of a dirty roach-infested death Rosselle in South Carolina prison. His body curled in a fetal position. He seemed obvious, oblivious to the filth and stench around him. His name was Rusty. He was sentenced to die for the murder of a Myrtle Beach woman in crime spree that left four people dead. Police arrested 23-year-old Rusty Wellborn from Point Pleasant, West Virginia in 1979, following one of the most brutal slayings in South Carolina history. Rusty was tried for murder and received the death penalty for his crime. Bob McAllister, a deputy chief of staff of South Carolina's governor, became acquainted with Rusty on death row. 
Bob had become a Christian a year or so earlier and felt a strong call from God to minister to the state's inmates, especially those spending their last days on death row. Bob first looked at Rusty, um, revealed a, a, a pitiful sight. Rusty was lying on the floor when he had arrived, a pathetic picture of a man who believed he mattered to no one. The only signs of life in the cell were the roaches, which scurried over everything, including Rusty himself. He stared blankly at Bob as he began to talk but did not respond. During visit after visit, Bob tried to reach Rusty, telling him of the love that Jesus had for him and his opportunity, even on death row, to start a new life in Christ. He talked and prayed continuously, and finally Rusty began to respond to the stranger who kept invading his cell. Little by little, he opened up until one day he began to weep as Bob was sharing with him. On that day, Rusty Wellborn, a pitiful man with murder and darkness behind him and his own death closing in ahead of him, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. When Bob returned to Rusty's cell a few days later, he found a new man. The cell was clean and so was Rusty. He had renewed energy and a positive outlook on life. McAllister continued to visit him regularly, studying the Bible and praying with him. The two men became close friends over the next five years. And in fact, McAllister said that Rusty grew unto the son he never had. And as for Rusty, he had taken to, McCall- he had taken to calling McAllister Pap. Bob had learned that Rusty's childhood in West Virginia had been anything but almost heaven. His family was destitute and Rusty was neglected and abused as a youngster. School was an ordeal for him and for his teachers. Throughout his junior high years, he wore the same two pair of pants and two ragged shirts. Out of shame, frustration, and a lack of adult guidance, Rusty quit school in his ninth grade year, a decision that was just the beginning of his troubles. His teenage years were full of turmoil as he, as he was kicked out of his home many times and ran away countless others. He spent the better part of his youth under bridges and in public restrooms. Bob taught Rusty the Bible, but Rusty was the teacher when it came to love and forgiveness. This young man who had never known real love was amazed and thrilled about the love of God. He never ceased to surprise that, be surprised that other people could actually love someone like him through Jesus Christ. Rusty's childlike enthusiasm was a breath of fresh air to Bob, who came to realize how much he had taken for granted, especially with regard to the love of his family and friends. Rusty became extremely bothered by the devastating pain he had caused the family and friends of his victim. Knowing that God had forgiven him, he desperately wanted the forgiveness of those he had wronged. Then a most significant thing happened. The brother of the woman Rusty had murdered became a Christian. God had dealt with him for two years about his need to forgive his sister's killer. Finally, he wrote Rusty a letter that offered not only forgiveness, but also love in Christ. Not long before his scheduled execution, his brother and his wife came to visit Rusty. Bob was present when the two men met and tearfully embraced like long-lost brothers, finally reunited. Rusty's senseless crime 10 years earlier constructed an enormous barrier between himself and the brother. The love of Christ obliterated that barrier and enabled both men to realize that because of him, they truly were brothers united on that day. It was a lesson Bob would not forget. Not only did Rusty teach Bob and Callister how to love and to forgive, he also taught him a powerful lesson about how to die. As the appointed day approached, Rusty exhibited a calm assurance like Bob had never seen. On his final day, with only hours remaining before his 1 a.m. execution, Rusty asked McAllister to read to him from the Bible. After an hour or so of listening, Rusty sat up on the side of his cot and said, You know, the only thing I ever wanted was a home, Pap. Now I'm going to get one. Bob continued his reading. After a few minutes, Rusty grew still and grew still very still. Thinking he had fallen asleep, Bob placed the blanket over him and closed the Bible. As he turned to leave, he felt a strong compulsion to lean and kiss Rusty on the forehead. 
A short time later, Rusty Wellborn was, was executed for murder. A woman assisting Rusty in his last moments shared this postscript to his story. As he was being prepared for his death, Rusty looked at her and said, What a shame that a man's got to wait till his last night alive to be kissed and tucked in for the very first time. Let me encourage you. Don't wait to show kindness to those who you love. Don't wait to show kindness, to reach out to the people who you love. They're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. We all are going to mess up, but you have a choice to show kindness. And here's the greatest thing about kindness. It's not something you have to muster up in and of yourself. It's actually something God wants to deposit inside of you. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. What's the word? kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Listen, folks, this is the reason. If you want your relationships to be repaired, if you want your relationships to be strengthened, then if you'll dive in and grow, grow, grow closer to God, then he has so much that he wants to put and deposit inside of you. And kindness is one of the things he wants to put inside of you so that you can then be kind to others. It's an amazing thing. As you develop that relationship with God, it will affect then your relationships with others. The number two, relationships are repaired through honest and open communication. Relationships are repaired through honest and open communication. Look at Genesis 21, verse 25. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about Abimelech's servants who had seized a well of water. Now, I want you to notice something here in this passage because it's really interesting because after the promise of Abraham and, and Abimelech on this whole issue of mutual kindness, after that, that commitment of mutual kindness is made towards each other, Abraham brings up a situation. You know what I'm talking about? Every one of us have had those in our relationships, right? We've all had them. I mean, have you ever had a situation in your relationship, right? <laughs> We all do. Somebody says something, somebody does something, a situation comes, comes up, something happens that causes the relationship to need to be prepared. But here's the thing that's most important for us to understand. It's not the absence of these situations that makes for a healthy relationship. It is how you deal with these situations that will make your relationships either healthy or unhealthy. I want you to listen to this letter that I received from Marilyn Henry, one of the ladies here in our church. She couldn't be here this morning. Her father is um, on his deathbed up in Illinois still. He's been there for way too long. It's drawing out way too long. So continue to pray for them. But she said I could share this with you here this morning. Listen to this email. Dear Pastor Russ, I'm 69 years old, and my story is long, so here's a condensed version to illustrate how the Lord has shown me grace, love, forgiveness, and protection. Experiencing these things healed me from doubt, worry, anger, disappointment, and every other affliction from the evil one. I know beyond a doubt that Jesus never fails and that he has a plan for my life that is far better than I could have ever imagined or hoped for. After 30 years of marriage, my husband left me for a 20-something. He had, me, had been unfaithful to me many, many times before, but I believed that God would want me to forgive him in the hope that someday he would be saved. My husband was quite successful, and we moved from, to Texas from California because of a wonderful career opportunity for him. So I had left my friends, adult children, and job. When another affair was discovered by me, he did not beg for forgiveness this time, nor did he make promises to do better. He just wanted out. My faith was shattered and I was angry at God because I thought I was being obedient and in the end my marriage was over and I felt like I had wasted 30 years with no reward. 
I was despondent and suicidal. I would cry out, Jesus, don't let go of me now. Even when I let go of him, I knew he would hold me up. Then miraculously, I met a wonderful man who I knew was, from the very beginning, was sent to me directly from God. I was loved by him in a way that I had never experienced with my husband of 30 years. And I began to realize that my divorce was actually a blessing from God. I think God wanted something better for me, and I was rewarded for my commitment and faithfulness. My gift from God became very ill on our Cancun honeymoon, when we, and when we returned, we made a doctor's appointment. The love of my life was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given six months to live. Oh, boy. My blessing was now being taken from me, not fair. Fear, anger, resentment welled up. Jesus, don't let go of me now. He did not. He sustained me through it all. We prayed and read the Bible together, and I saw Roy getting closer and closer to God. His faith increased, and his relationship with God deepened. I cared for a dying man, and eight months after my marriage made in heaven, I was a widow. But let me tell you that God answered my prayers for healing. It was just not exactly how I intended it to be. God gave Roy eternal healing and released him from his sick body. I was privileged to be a part of God's big picture in Roy's life. But now I was filled with loneliness, fear, and insecurity again. I cried out so many times, Jesus, don't let go of me now. Jesus never fails. Gary and I met, and once again, I knew that God was being so very sweet to me. God is like that. He doesn't always save you from unbearable circumstances, but he makes them bearable and gives you the stuff you need to get through, through it. Six years ago, my marriage to Gary was attacked. I was betrayed, hurt, and angry. I knew that divorce was permissible under circumstances of his sin, and I was ready to do it. He was broken and begged for forgiveness. I said, no way. I, I fell for that before and will not make that mistake again. But then God kept asking me why I would not forgive Gary. He reminded me of how many times he forgave me. He insisted that I needed to love Gary unconditionally because that is how he loves me. Really? God I did that for 30 years, and where did that get me? The Holy Spirit hounded me and pursued me and, and broke my own will. Since then, I have seen an awesome man of God rise up from ashes of a broken man. Praise God. Hallelujah. Our marriage has been healed, and God gets the glory. I see a direct correlation between forgiveness and healing, don't you? We are blessed. So I would just like to say I am healed, healed from worry disbelief, anger, disappointment, fear, insecurity, and a zillion other infirmities. Why? Because Jesus never fails and he never lets go of me. Simple as that. I love you. I'm so glad that you're a pastor, Marilyn. Isn't that good? It's really good. Here's number three. Number three, relationships are repaired by establishing boundaries. Relationships are repaired by establishing boundaries. Look at this in Genesis 21, verse 27. Then Abraham gave Abimelech some sheep and cattle, and they made an agreement. Abraham also put seven female lambs in front of Abimelech. Abimelech asked Abraham, why did you put these seven female lambs by themselves? Abraham answered, accept these lambs from me to prove that you believe I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because they made a promise to each other. This is such an incredible picture of two influential men making a promise to each other about what belonged to them and where those boundaries were going to be in their relationship. It's an incredible picture of that. See, once you've made the decision that you're going to repair your, these relationship with kindness, and once you've established open and honest communication, then the next step, you need to make sure that you create healthy boundaries in these relationships because boundaries are absolutely essential for every healthy relationship. 
And the truth of it may be for you here this morning that you may be in some relationships that are absent of boundaries. And as a result, you've created some destructive patterns in those relationships that's causing hurt. It's causing abuse and misuse to happen in those relationships. People are taking advantage of you because those boundaries aren't established. Here's the thing. It's easy to fall into this trap because the reason why we fail to put healthy boundaries in our life is because we love these people. We love this person and we're afraid that we're going to lose them. If I actually put my foot down, then I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'm going to lose this relationship. But you need to understand all healthy relationships have boundaries to them. And this relationship that's causing hurt and misuse and abuse in your life is toxic. That's a lethal relationship that needs to be corrected. It needs to have the issues of kindness. It needs to have open, honest communication. But it needs to be able to have those boundaries established so that pattern can be stopped in your life. I want you to listen. Dr. Jill Murray in her book, But He Never Hit Me, she says this about relationships without boundaries. I want you to listen to this list. Because sometimes it's hard to see if you're actually in a relationship without boundaries. And so I want you to pay attention to this and see if any of these kind of spark something inside of you that might be true. When you give up your boundaries and relationships, you are unclear about your preferences. You don't notice your own unhappiness since pleasing is your main concern. You alter your behavior, your plans or opinions to fit the current moods or circumstances of another. You do more and more for less and less. You take as truth the most recent opinion you've heard. You are satisfied if you're coping and surviving. You make exceptions for a person for things you would not tolerate in others. You are manipulated by flattery so that you lose objectivity. You try to create intimacy with a narcissist. You see the other person as causing your happiness or excitement. You feel hurt and victimized but not angry with the other person. You act out of compliance and compromise. You do favors that you inwardly resist. You can't say no. You often feel afraid and confused. You frequently become involved in dramas that are beyond your control or don't involve you personally. You commit yourself for as long as the other person needs you to be committed and you don't have a bottom line. If you're seeing yourself in any of these, you need to understand, folks, that's abuse. And for whatever reason, here's what I know in dealing with people for the last 26 years of my life as a pastor. It's so easy for your relationships to fall into that place of abuse. Every one of us in this room is susceptible of that. And it's a gradual slide that you may not even be aware of until right now, when all of a sudden, maybe something's going on inside of you, and you're realizing there's something wrong here. There's abuse that's happening here in this relationship. Listen, folks, we need to understand. God wants to bring healing in your relationships. But we need to partner with him. He doesn't want you to submit to abuse. Those healthy boundaries have to be placed in these relationships. Every healthy relationship has boundaries. Every healthy one. And if you don't have boundaries in your relationships, then 
The end result is that's, that's going to be a lethal, toxic relationship in your life. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes here. Because I don't want you to be thinking about anybody else. I don't want you, anybody, I don't want you to be looking around, whether there's people in front of you, or behind you, or beside you. I just want you to close your eyes. Because I know just talking about these relationship-type things may have just stirred a hornet's nest of junk in your own heart. And so I want to reinforce the fact God wants to bring healing in your relationship. God wants to bring healing to you. This is his will. This is what he's doing in your life. And so what needs to happen in your relationships in order for healing to occur? What needs to happen in your relationships for healing to occur? And let me just correct that person who's thinking right now that, that you need to do something to create harm, to create destruction for that other person. That is not God's voice speaking to you. If that thought is to hurt, to kill somehow that other person, right, you just need to know right now that's not God speaking to you. God wants to heal your hurt and heal that wound that's in your soul. And so, how do I partner with God? How do I partner with God in those relationships? For some of you, your words, they're creating so much destruction. Venom is constantly spewing out of your mouth. And this morning, you need right now to repent. You need to repent of what you've allowed to come out of you. You need to repent what's come out of your mouth and ask God to fill you with his kindness so that you can commit yourself to acting in kindness with that person. For some of you, you've been avoiding the situations that are going on in that relationship. And this morning you realize that you need to sit down with that person and have some open and honest communication. And I want to just speak to that right now. If that's something you feel like you need to do as a next step, I want to encourage you to do it in a public place. Go to a restaurant, do it in a public place. Don't do it at home by yourself. Go where other people are. You'll control yourself and the other person will control themselves better to start an open and honest dialogue. And I'm just going to give you a little, little bit of pointer here. Start out the, the time and the, that, that, you're, when you're, that you set aside to have that open, honest communication. Start out with asking the question, help me understand. Instead of accusing, instead of just pointing your finger, just start with, help me understand what all these things are that are going on. For some of you, you realize that that relationship you're in is really unhealthy. And this morning you're realizing that you've been afraid of setting any boundaries in this relationship because you're afraid that you'll lose that person. But maybe this morning you're realizing that this relationship that exists right now is unhealthy and it's even lethal to you. And so your first step, your first step is to let go. Is to let go. To let go of that person who you love and to be able to release that person into God's hands. Why don't you just do this? Just put your hands out in front of you. Think about the people that are in your life. And I want you just to open up your hands. It's just a way of releasing. 
And then with your own mouth, say, God, I let go of that person. Lord, I release this person into your hands. Father, I pray for every one of us here in this room and all the relationships that are in our life, the ones that are bringing incredible joy to us and the ones that are bringing such heartache and difficulty, so much anger and resentment and hurt. Lord, I thank you that, God, you can be in the midst of all of these. And so, Father, I pray for every one of us that we would work with you and not against you so that healing can actually come to our own souls and also for the possibility of these relationships being restored. Father, I pray that for every person who's struggling in their marriage or struggling with their kids or struggling with their parents or struggling with a coworker or a friend, Father, I pray that God, by your spirit, that you would come and begin to heal the hurt, the pain, the abuse, the misuse, the things that have been said and done, that God, that you would repair, restore, God, that you would rekindle love in our hearts. And that, God, healthy boundaries would be established in these relationships so these relationships can be godly and so they can be healthy. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you have not just left us out here by yourself, that we just have to deal with these relationships by ourselves, but, God, that you are with us. You're with every one of our relationships. And so, Father, I just agree, God, that you would come and bring healing to every marriage, bring healing to the brokenhearted in the relationships with the damage that has been done by the words that have been spoken. God, that healing would come between those two people. God, that you would restore it and bring life, that these relationships would again be healthy and powerful. And Lord, I pray, Father, for every one of us that a relationship with you would grow so that out of that relationship, we would be able to love the people who are in our life. We're going to take communion here this morning. And I'm reminded that Jesus is the one who made the way for these relationships to be healed and to be restored. Communion, when you think about it, is the greatest bridge builder of restoration of relationship. God coming to us and taking that step and saying, I want to know you, I want to have a relationship with you. It's in communion that we're reminded of what Jesus did so that we can truly know God, so you can hear his voice. The Bible just describes for us that if we'll just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, I, I, Jesus is who he says he is. I'll, if I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. It's one of the simplest things. Jesus said, unless a little kid can do it, we've messed it all up. It's just become religion. Maybe for some of you here this morning, you've never really made that personal decision for yourself. 
I want to invite you here in this moment, in the moment where God is wanting to bring healing in your own personal relationships, first and foremost, he wants to bring healing with you and him. That's the greatest relationship repair that needs to happen in our lives. And it's the simplest because he's already for you. He already loves you with complete abandonment. He gave his life for you. And now it's our question. I always think communion is one of the most powerful times because it's a question that's asked. Jesus says, I have given my life for you. Will you give me your life? When we take communion, we're saying, yes, Jesus, I receive your life. And in return, I give you my life. Here at One Chapel, we celebrate open communion, which means this. You don't have to be a member of this church to take part of communion. This is for all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible describes for us that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. How we're going to do this is there's a station in front of each of these two sections here in the auditorium. You're going to exit from your right, starting from the front row, going row by row. You'll exit from your right, circle around, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then take it back to your chair. And then answer that question. Jesus has asked, I've given my life for you. Will you then in turn give me your life? Let's do this here together.